So I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 7. And I want to read from 13. 14 is written down, but read from verse 13. And we've been thinking about uh, the relationship the believer has to the law and to sin. And uh, one of the things that Paul, and we saw this last, uh, last time, is that uh, the law, one of the things about when someone is in the flesh, living a non-Christian life, uh, as a non-Christian, and uh, you, you give them law, uh, one of the puzzling things, that, uh, paradoxical things that happens is that sin rises up in the, the human heart. And actually, instead of, and law is not actually able to save anybody, because it actually, um, it's in the appearance of the law that sin rises up in the heart. So, and Paul is asking this kind of obvious question, uh, so is, is the law a bad thing? Uh, which, as we'll see in a moment, is not a bad thing. Um, but we need to understand uh, our right, our, just how we are related to the law. And we were looking at that last time, how we're, uh, we're married now to Christ. And our relation, the law doesn't go away. The law hasn't died. But we're re- related to it differently through Christ. So verse 13, Paul asks this question. And remember, he's anticipating a question from the congregation that's hearing this read. Did that which is good then, that's the law, bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what was good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. Sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, But with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. So I've been a Christian now for four decades. Wow. (laughs) Four decades. I became a Christian in in my teens, my late teens. Um, That kind of ages me. Work that out. Um, 
And I've had you know, many, many Christian friends in that time. And one of the, the regular features of, that, of those relationships, Christian relationships I have with people, has been to hear some of those Christians express uh, disappointment at their own performance, as it were. That, you know, they've been go- going on as a Christian for a number of years, perhaps, and they still have besetting sins, and they still fall into sins. And they, you know, there are just so many sins that seem to be present in the life. And it can be disappointing. Uh, you can get kind of downhearted about it. Um, it's something that ministers, I think, regularly come across. They, they maybe even feel it in themselves. But ministers will come across it amongst their, uh, the people under their care. Uh, someone will say, I've been a Christian for so many years, at least I thought I was, but as I look at my life and I see how many times I sin, sometimes I think, and sometimes the sins just keep coming back, and, and, and now I'm wondering whether I'm actually a Christian at all. Because <laughs> these sins keep coming back. Um, how can I be a Christian and be so displeasing to God? I wonder if you've ever asked that question about yourself. I remember my uh, uh, former pastor in Derby, when we were living in Derby, and I was uh, uh, working in industry at the time, and Susan was working in a school there. But I remember my pastor then telling me um, about uh, such an occasion that, um, and telling me that this was his view on this, that the Christian who is disturbed by their own sin is, is not the person who needs to worry about salvation. The people who really need to worry about their salvation, their eternal security, and whether they're saved or not, are the people who actually don't care about their sin. That was his view. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. Uh, of course, there are, there are people who uh, project a false humility. <laughs> I'm so humble. Um, you know, I'm such a sinner and a worm and so on. And they're always talking about sin. But actually, they've got hearts of pride still. Um, so one would probably need to qualify that statement uh, a little. You know, um, the, people, the people who are disturbed by their sin are probably not the people who need to worry. But the people who are not disturbed by their sin are the people who should most worry about their salvation. That's probably mostly true. Um, but it, what, it, what, what that statement really helps us with is it says that the person who has truly become a Christian, who has truly been regenerated, who has been truly born again, or as Paul puts it earlier in this letter, who has, where, the, where you have died to your sin and died, as it were, to the law, um, you have and put on Christ, as it were, uh, have been saved from that kingdom of darkness to, into the kingdom of grace. You've been removed from that place of being enslaved to sin to being enslaved now to Christ. Uh, that person, that, the great truth about that person is they are now launched into a war. And it's a war that takes place not simply externally with the world out there, but a war that's within. A battle that's within. 
So it's a battle that's within our own persons. Between, on the one side, the new self, the inner being, as Paul puts it in verse 22, he talks about my inner being, literally the inner man or the inner person. And on the other side, indwelling sin. So that battle between the new person you are and the indwelling sin that is still there in your members. And what we need to grasp about this is it's normal Christianity. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what you're launched into when you become a Christian. You're launched into this, this battle. And maybe you've, you know, before you were a Christian, you never experienced this before. You didn't really think about it. You didn't care. And the reason is because you didn't have that principle, that new principle of spiritual life in you, given to you by the Holy Spirit. You didn't care. It doesn't matter. But now, everything seems to go down. It seems as though you're going downhill. Your eyes are opened and you see everything in the light of God's glory and his grace and you see your sin in a new way. And you just seem that, it seems that you can't be free of it. It's only in glory that you're going to be free of it. And that can be a bit disappointing if you don't think about it correctly. So what we're going to look at today is this... Uh, there, there are some passages, a few passages in the Bible that help us to see that what this normal Christian life is, is like on the inside. And this is one of them at the end of chapter 17. Um, Paul takes us through it step by step, and I think that's what we're going to do today. First, the first thing, question to answer, which some people might ask, is, is Paul here talking about a Christian? Um, uh, and there are some people who, who think that Paul's not actually talking about Christian at all here. Um, that this is a kind of pre-Christian experience. Um, last week when we looked at verses 7 through to 13, we noted that Paul had talked about his own personal experience before he was a Christian. That he had been a student of the law, he had been a top student of Judaism. Um, and as he looked back to that time, uh, and he saw how the law that he had studied so much, had, uh, and he'd, he'd seen it and he had he'd sought to conform his, his life to it. But it had this sort of strange effect on him that uh, it seemed to stimulate more sins within him. And so you see in, back in verses 7 and 8, sorry, 8 and 9, uh, Paul speaks about this from his personal experience. He says, but sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment, and he's, the commandment he's thinking about is coveting here. Sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. It's a weird thing, isn't it? You hear about the command that says, don't covet, and immediately start thinking of all the things you can covet, and you want, and your desires rise up. Apart from the loss, uh, apart from the loss, sin is dead, Paul says. I was once alive, uh, and what he means there is I was alive in the sense that I didn't care about the law, I was, I was carefree in a sense, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. So suddenly I was condemned by the law. And this is his personal experience, this rising sin within him uh, when he comes face to face with the law. Um, So for him, prior to his being a Christian, it was a power that he was unable to control the introduction of the law only served to stimulate sin. And so that he says that this, this commandment became death to him. Um, 
So 7 to 13 show this past life. And the question is, is verses, are verses 14 to 25 also about his past life as a non-Christian? Or is it now his life as a Christian? And, and there are some who, believe, who find it difficult to believe that what Paul is describing is actually the life of a Christian. Um, it's because of the strong language. You see in verse 14, Paul says, I am of the flesh. I am sold under sin. And it sounds like he's talking about the old life here. I am under sin. Sorry, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm of the flesh. But actually, I don't agree that that's about his prior experience. I believe Paul is here describing the Christian's experience. And there's a number, there's three reasons I give for that. One is just the change of tense. So that's a grammatical reason. Uh, he's talking about things as they are now. I am this and I am that. He's talking in the present tense. Um, in verses 7 to 13, he was talking in the past tense. But now from verse 14, he speaks in the present. So verse 14, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. It's all very present and real for him. So he's talking about his current experience, I think. Second thing is he actually longs to do good. He has this inner battle. He wants to do good. In verse 16, he says... If I do do what I do not want, I agree that, uh, with the law that it is good. In uh, verse 18, he talks about this desire that he has. Um, I have this desire to do what is right. Uh, in verse 22, he says, I delight in the law of God in my inner being. And this, these are just complete changes for Paul. Uh, compared to what he was before. Uh, then he didn't care so much. Now he does. He cares deeply about uh, the law and, and doing the right thing. And we might say, well, didn't Paul love the law before he was a Christian? But think about it for a minute. Just how did he love the law as a Pharisee before he, be, he, was, he met Jesus on the Damascus Road? What, what was he like? What kind of religion was it? Well, we get an idea of it from Jesus and how he dealt with the Pharisees that he dealt with every, every day through his, throughout his ministry. He called them hypocrites. Woe to you hypocrites! Time and time again in Matthew 23, woe to you hypocrites! Woe to you! May God judge you, you hypocrites! Now, why did Jesus do that? Because they didn't really love the law. They didn't really love the giver of the law. They loved a whole load of other things. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6 that they loved the fine robes. (laughs) They loved to walk about in public in the fine robes. And to be greeted in the public square by people. And to be recognized as a you know, a serious spiritual person, a leader, a man to be honored. They loved it, and they loved all these robes. They loved to be seen praying in public. They would disfigure their faces and uh, put 
sackcloth and ashes and so on. And they would parade their spirituality to everybody so that everybody could see. They loved all the trappings that went with the religious life. And so they kept the law to the extent that they got all the recognition. But they didn't really love the law or the lawgiver, the God who gives the law. And Paul here was, a, was the coveter, the one who coveted all of these things, the hypocrites who secretly loved things that he didn't have. But now Paul is a Christian. And the Christian has this extraordinary work of God done in him. Where he longs to do the things that God has commanded because God has commanded it. Because of God. This is the great truth. The great transformation. So he longs for this. That's one reason why it's, the second reason why it's, I think it's about Paul now. The third reason, um, this is a person who takes, Paul is a person who takes joy in the fact that Christ has delivered them from the penalty of sin. You see that there in verses 24 and 25. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He sees how his sin is dealt with. He's, what he's uh, expressing there is the hope of every Christian. The hope of the Christian is not that my works and my goodness and my law keeping will save me, but Christ the Redeemer will save me. And so Paul is speaking as a new man. He discovers the truth. So, so these are three reasons why I think this is about him as a Christian in his present experience. Um, however, we just need to tidy up a, something here. Where, where Paul says in verse 14, what it, he says he's of the flesh. Now what does he mean by that then, as a Christian? I mean, it sounds like being... If you look back to verse 5, a couple of weeks ago we looked at this, where Paul speaks about once he was living in the flesh. Now he's saying, I am of the flesh. Uh, is that the same thing? Remember we said when, if he's in the flesh, when he was in the flesh, he was living as a sinful man, lost under sin, uh, living according to his passions, just doing his own thing. Uh, that's what it is to be in the flesh. Um, that's the whole problem of, of life before you're a Christian. You're under authority of the sin that controls you. You follow its laws and customs. The sin's laws and customs that you're built, are built into you. And you never thought of doing anything else before you were a Christian. And in a sense you were at home. You were in that kingdom. And uh, you felt very much at home just doing what your heart desired. But now, you're a Christ, but now you're a Christian, Paul. What's, what's happened to you? You're under a new realm. You're under a new kingdom marked by grace. A new king, uh, Jesus Christ, a new Lord. Uh, he rules over you. So what, uh, so what you are has now changed. But here's the, here's the thing. What you, where you came from can never be changed. When we first moved from Scotland down to England, uh, people said, well, you can, you can take the Scotsman out of Scotland, but you, you can't take Scotland out of the Scotsman. <laughs> See what I mean? Uh, you always feel that you're, you, you've come from somewhere else. 
Well, I think there's something of a truth in that, that all sinners who have been in that old kingdom and have lived in that old kingdom and lived according to its laws and its customs and its habits, now that they are in the kingdom of Christ, that there's still something about the old life that's still present. You never forget where you've come from. I'm not saying this is necessarily a good thing, but it is a thing, isn't it? And you still have those, those habits. Uh, and that's what's true of a Christian. You've become a Christian. You're a new man. You're a new woman. New boy, new girl. And yet, you still have some of the habits of the old life. We were thinking about that this morning. Don't, you know, when somebody becomes a Christian, they're not a blank slate, are they? They have all the habits and minds and ways of thinking that they had before. So in a sense, Paul can say, I'm of the flesh. But I'm not living there. But I'm of it. I have those habits. And sometimes, annoyingly, they just, they just cling to you. And it's hard to get rid of the old habits, isn't it? And that's really important, I think, for us to think about as Christians. Um, those of us who are Christians, how do we think about our sins? Some of us may not have thought about our sins. We don't really think much about it at all. Maybe for some of us we go for days on end and we never think we've actually sinned. Because we have such a high view of ourselves. Maybe you've never really thought about it because you assume that everything will be okay for you. And as God looks at you, you think, that, well, he hasn't, got, he hasn't got a problem with me. That's a, that's a dangerous position to be in. That's not real Christianity. It's actually a counterfeit, false kind of Christianity. Because the true Christian becomes acutely aware of your sin. Uh, of the continuing presence of sin. Although you're not under its rule and domination. It's still there. It's still present. And the true Christian is regularly humbled by the presence of sin. And laments it. And is regularly turning to Christ. For relief and forgiveness from those sins. I wonder if that's you this evening. Do you lament the presence of sins in your life? And are you continually turning to Christ. For forgiveness and consolation. So that's the, that's the first thing. I forgot my title. What was my title? It was a while back. Is Paul talking about a Christian? Yes, he's talking about a Christian. But he's talking about the struggles of the Christian life. So what is going on inside the Christian? Let's move on and talk about what's going on inside the Christian. Uh, and three things about what's going on inside the Christian. First of all, uh, the first is the contradiction between what you want to do and what you actually do. Paul says, I don't understand my own actions, verse 15. Uh, I wonder if you've ever had that. You wake up in the morning, you resolve uh, to live for God today, you want to live a, a godly life, uh, and whenever I'm tempted, I'm going to resist the temptation. And then you get to the end of the day and you think, why did I do that? <laughs> On that and that and that and that. Why did I do all these things? That's the normal Christian experience. 
you love God, you love Jesus Christ, you want to serve him, but you end up doing things that you hate. You sin and you fail. Why? Well, that leads us to the second thing. What else is going on uh, inside the Christian? And the second thing is, you still have this indwelling sin. It's still present in your flesh. And Paul puts that very strongly because, uh, and very powerfully. Um, I am of the flesh, sold under sin. It's quite, sh- quite a shocking statement. When he says flesh, he, of course, you understand, he doesn't mean just you know, the meat that you're made of. But uh, the whole of your being, as it is corrupted by sin. Um, that's what he means by flesh. And he says that he is sold under slavery to sin. And it sounds a bit like being a non-Christian. And to a certain extent, that's, that's true. There are aspects of our existence as Christians that are the same. We're still tempted. We still find that we fall into sin as Christians, just like before we were Christians. So we have this indwelling sin. So that's the second thing. But the third thing that's going on inside of it is, is something that we really need to get grasp hold of. That we are being renewed inwardly. We are being renewed inwardly. And this is the radical difference that is, uh, between the Christian and the non-Christian. You see, a seed has been planted within you. A seed of life. New life has been given to you as a Christian. And this new life begins to express itself in new ways. Uh, one is simply, I just want to do different things. I want to live my life in new ways according to God's word. This is all part of uh, the Holy Spirit writing God's law into our hearts and suddenly we have these desires, this new covenant promise, this desire to live for God. And so I want to do good even though I'm aware that there's evil in my flesh. And then in verse 22 Paul says this, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. That term inner being or inner man as it is literally is really important because This inner person, this is now the real you. This most fundamental essence of your being. What you are at root now as a Christian. Your inner man, your inner woman. You have been changed. And it will never be unchanged. This is a... The glorious sovereignty of God coming in salvation to to needy sinners that he plants the seed of life and now you have an inner person that is completely changed. And so Paul has this really interesting way of looking at himself and all of Christians. If you you look ahead to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, let me just read a section, verses 16 to 18. Paul is speaking about his ministry and uh, the suffering that he's facing and the difficulties that he's facing. But he, he says this amazing thing about, uh, you know, he's suffering in his body. But he says this amazing thing about himself. He says, we do not lose heart, though our outer nature is wasting away. Our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. 
For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You see what he's saying? He's saying it's really tough being a Christian, for him at least, uh, in this life. There's lots of suffering. But my body's suffering is much less important than that I am being renewed every day, inwardly. It's almost like there is a transformation that's begun to happen, but it's not complete yet. And it won't be complete until the resurrection of our bodies. But meanwhile, as it were, we're resurrected in our spirit, we're renewed in our spirit. We become new men, new women, new boys, new girls. And that process of renewal that God is doing in us necessarily brings conflict with all the habits that we have within our members, our outer bodies, as it were. And this is what he says in verses 22, 23. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells within my members. Paul's talking here about two laws that are at work. He's not here talking about the Mosaic law or the, uh, the, uh, the, the Ten Commandments. But he's talking about two principles, two laws, two ways of things happening. And uh, he's got this idea of the law of sin, which has reigned in your life before you were a Christian, but now has been toppled off the throne, but is still present, as it were, kind of in a rear guard action still causing you still at times to do things that you don't want to do. But now you also have this renewed person who now lives within, with a new mind who wants to serve the law of God. And there's this inner conflict that every Christian faces and experiences. And that's, that conflict is never going to go away. There's never going to be a day when it lets up until there is final complete victory and consummation when Jesus Christ comes again and we are resurrected in our bodies. For Paul, it doesn't stop until we're glorified. And that's what Paul's going to talk about in chapter 8, but we'll wait to get to that next time. So are, here's the question. Are, are you in this fight, this spiritual fight, the battle that's going on within are you experiencing uh, the, the trials of it? If not, you're probably not a Christian. Because it's the normal Christian experience to face those battles and to experience difficulties. Well, let's finish with Paul's final thoughts in verses 24 and 23 where he presents to us Jesus Christ the Deliverer. You might be listening to me and thinking, well, that's a bit miserable, Stephen. You know, you're, you're painting a picture of the Christian life that's really tough and hard going and, and really difficult. Well, you know, Paul's not miserable at all, as we probably noticed. He is not in the least miserable. Because in all of those difficulties that he faces, they only caused him to turn his attention to the one in whom real joy can be found. He turns to Jesus Christ. 
He knows that he is a miserable sinner. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? But he comes with joy and thankfulness in verse 25. Thanks be to God uh, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And this is what sustains the Christian. We don't look at our failings and think, therefore I am not a Christian. Instead, we turn to Jesus Christ again. When we see our sins, we turn afresh to Jesus Christ. We come to him, seek forgiveness, rest in his grace, and discover afresh and meditate again on how he is our deliverer and our redeemer. And what great joy there is in this. Oh, how we need to develop the habit that whenever we sin, whenever we fall, our first impulse is to turn to Jesus Christ and look at the cross, look at all that he's done for us. And receive from him his grace and mercy again. To be reminded of the freeness of the gospel promise. That he will never turn away all those who come to him. And he will take away the burdens on our shoulders. Because he is our redeemer. Friends, I mentioned uh, three kinds of people today. There's a kind of person who professes to be a Christian, does all the churchy stuff but in the heart of hearts, doesn't have a care at all about their own sin. And that person, I think, probably is not a Christian at all. Actually, they're probably just full of themselves. They still have to discover the depths of their need and come to their Savior and come empty-handed to their Savior. Then there's another person, the person who's truly a Christian, uh, who now knows that he or she is in a spiritual battle. And that's going on in her very person. She's she's discouraged and wonders whether she's a Christian sometimes. And that person needs to turn afresh to Jesus Christ. And discover the grace that's in him. And spend time gazing upon him. And realizing once more all that he has achieved for her. Because of Christ she can be fully assured. That she truly is saved even though she sins. And then there's the person who is a Christian who's aware of the spiritual battle within but knows without a doubt, like Paul did, that Jesus Christ is the one who saves him. I wonder which category you're in today. But the answer is always come to Jesus Christ. Come and receive from him. He will save you from this body of death. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. In the gospel. Thank you that your word doesn't teach us a false kind of Christianity that's full of uh, simply uh, joys and pleasures. But uh, reminds us that it's a difficult life to which we're called. And yet none of it matters compared to the glory that awaits us. So Father we pray you'd help us to have that heavenly perspective on our lives. So that we may walk with you. In Jesus name. Amen.